I don't know if you, uh, if you are able to say it as well. I don't know if you are able to truly say that in every aspect of your life, to say it as well. When, when things are going great, it is well. When things are not going great, it is well. And why would you even want that? Why would you want to be able to say that it is well? Well, when the Seahawks, Seahawks, someone doesn't like the Seahawks, or at least doesn't want to talk about this right now, but we need to address it publicly, right? They're, I mean, they're, they're so close. And I know that there's at least two people in here that are happy about this um, uh, because they have a family member on the team, all right, whatever. Um, but, I mean, they were so close right there. And are we able to say it is well? You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about life in a way that just seems, uh, you know, futile. It talks about the futility of life. It talks about the meaninglessness of life. And some of you are sitting here saying, my life has got a lot of meaning. Why would you say that? Well, what I'm talking about here is from a philosopher's perspective, from the eyes of this guy Solomon, who was the richest man who, whoever was essentially during his time. He was the wisest man who ever was, other than Jesus. He had wisdom beyond what anybody could possibly desire or want in riches, and he went into every possible area of life, into pleasure, into his work, into his lifestyle, into sex, into everything. He went into those things and desired to try to figure out the meaning of life and tried to find true and lasting meaning because he was looking for something that was going to fulfill him. He, he's still looking for something. I mean, think of you two. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm, keep searching and searching and searching and searching. And I still can't find this thing that's ultimately going to speak to what it is that I finally and actually need. And we've talked about how you can go through life and you can say, okay, this is it. This is the thing that will bring me true meaning in life, and then you get to that point, and you somehow drift on to something else, or you end up getting to that thing, and you f end up finding out that it really isn't as fulfilling as you thought it would be. You always need more, and you need more, and you need more, or you need something else. We end up living our lives in saying, if only, if only, if only. And something that I've realized in my own life is this, is that I'm, a, I'm a, a driven person in many ways, and I've been driven and driven and driven. And so I, I live my life with the mantra of, if only this would happen. Then I would be, then I, and what I'm really saying to myself is, true and ultimate and lasting happiness will be found when I get to this one thing. And the, the fact is, is that I, I've gotten there before. I've achieved that goal I've accomplished some things in life, and yet I got there, and I said, I don't really feel like this is fulfilling me. And in essence, it kind of brings on a depression that just says, what else could I possibly want that will bring me lasting joy? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever experienced that? Well, here's the thing. Solomon, the teacher, the professor, the preacher, as sometimes he is called, here's a guy who's gone through all of that, 
And this is what he's going to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. No, he did not rip off a song from the birds. The birds ripped off a song from him. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now why this is important is this. Is that what he's talking about is he's talking about the events of our lives. And there's, there's this, and then there's that. There's a time to be built up, as Pete Carroll has been, as one of the greatest coaches uh, that has ever been. And so here's Pete Carroll, Seahawks coach. I know that because I looked it up this morning, but um, I just forgot his name. Give me a break. All right. So uh, Pete Carroll, he's built up as this great coach, and then he makes a call, and he doesn't run the ball. He passes it. It is well. It is well. Um, he passes the ball. And, and you, you sit there and you go, what? Oh, my gosh. And then comes the barrage of insults. I don't know if you saw the memes on Facebook of, you know, the, the Starbucks one. Should I pass this to you or should I hand it to you? And, and uh, so forth. But people are ripping on this guy as uh, he's the biggest idiot that ever was. There's a time to be built up and there's a time to tear down. In his life, and you, you sit and you, you go, what in the world is going on? And what Solomon is really bringing to our attention is he's saying this. This happens, and then that happens, and then this happens, and then that happens, and this happens, and then that happens. It's this cyclical nature of our world that just keeps going and going and going. And the truth is that you and I, if we could, we would control the events of our lives. And I would say this, that much of our effort in life is bent on controlling the events of our lives. Why? Because good is better than bad in our scheme of thinking. Good is better than bad. And we think to ourselves, we, we often think, you know, I remember when I was, uh, you know, many years ago, I was working with this, uh, this old logger. And uh, he, I, I don't know what I was doing, but I, I kept hitting nails on the first try or something. Apparently, I was having trouble with that. And he said, oh, man, you must be living right. Oh, man, you must be. He must have said that a thousand times while I was working with him. I'm like, stop it. But he, he keeps sitting here saying this over and over again. And what he's saying is this, is that if you're living right, then good things are going to happen to you. Good things are going to take place in your life. And so what we think is we think this. We think, okay, if, I'm, if things are going well for me, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, if I'm being a moral person, if I'm doing what he wants, then really only good is going to happen to me. I'm only going to be built up. Solomon is pointing out something and he's saying, it doesn't matter what you do. There will be a time to build up and there will be a time to tear down. There's a time to be born, but there will be a time to kill. There's a time to plant, but there will be a time to uproot. And there's nothing that you and I can do about it. 
And so you can look at life and you can say, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what I do. Everything is futile. Everything is meaningless under the sun, as Solomon says. Or you can look at life and you can say, okay, what's really going on here? And that's what Solomon is beginning to do here. He says, what gain or what profit has the worker from his toil? He's saying, what difference does it make what you do? What, do you, is there any profit in just going in this, in this cycle of life? What's, what's happening? He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And what he's keying into right there is he's saying, I have seen everything that there is. I have seen what God wants from us or what he's called us to do. In the past, he said it's, it's meaningless, it's vain, it's a vapor, it's just this toil, and it's over and over again, and it, it, it seems meaningless, but then he's going to say something else. Now, I, I want you to notice something. As a teacher, he kind of plays devil's advocate for a second, and he asks a question, but like, and he takes the other side of the argument, but then he goes back over to this argument. So right now, he's going to switch right here. He's going to say this. He's going to say, he, who's he? God. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, there's a lot of things in life that we can look at and we can say, that's beauty. That is beauty. I mean, there's, there's lots of things that we would look at. You know, when, when things are going well for my family, when things are working out, there's, I, I can say, it is, it is well. But Solomon is saying this, God has ordained as the one who's ultimately and finally in charge that there will be a time to be born and there will be a time to die and there will be a time to plant and there will be a time to pluck and there will be a time to kill and there will be a time to heal and there will be a time to break down and a time to build up. And he's, he's saying this, he's saying God in his infinite abilities knowledge, wisdom, power, justice, righteousness, everything you can imagine, God in everything that he is has determined that all things will ultimately be beautiful. All things will be beautiful. Now let's just stop for a second. Some of you, and all of us to one extent or another, but some of you would be able to tell me a story right now that would knock me off my feet. Of the horrors that happened to you, either as a child, as a mother, as a father. You, you've been through things that I know nothing about and I may never experience. But let me just tell you this, that Solomon somehow is able to say that he has made everything beautiful in its time. So what does this mean? Does it mean that there's beauty in horrific events? Not right now. I can't see it. But what is he saying? He's saying this. Look at the, the next little piece here to this verse. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Then he adds something onto there. He says, also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done 
from the beginning to the end. Now, why did he just say that? Because of this. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Ah, 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 ah. I don't see beauty in that, you might say. There's no beauty in my life in these situations. And Solomon says this, no, you can't be at 1,000 feet and really know what's going on. You've got to get up at 30,000 feet, and you've got to be able to see this. You've got to be able to see what God sees. You've got to be able to get up there. I don't know if you've ever read in the book of Job. That is also a depressing book in some senses, so I commend it to you. Um, but Job, God answers Job back in Job 38. And this is what he says, Job 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is that? Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors... And said, thus far shall you come and no further. Here shall be your proud waves be stayed. What it says in Job here is this, is that we can come to God and we can say, hey God, I really don't like the negative side of things. And you can come to your life and you can try to be in control and you can try to say, I'm trying as hard as I can to control this and I'm going to try to be a moral person. I'm going to keep my own list. And I'm going to check it twice, and I'm going to make sure that I'm not naughty, but I'm nice, and I'm going to make sure that things are good here, according to me, so that good things happen to me instead of bad things. But as soon as bad things happen to you, what happens to you? You just go, oh man, life is falling apart. God, how, how dare you? How could you do this? But Ecclesiastes says this, he's made everything beautiful in its time. And he, in essence, has put eternity into the heart of man. What this means is this. The reason why you think that there should be more. The reason why you're constantly wanting more. I want more relationship. I want another good time. I want more pleasure. I want more success in work. The reason why you continue to go after that is this. Is that God is showing you that you are made for eternity. God is showing you that there there is something eternal, and yet he has clouded it so that you can't fully see. But here's the thing. He can see. Where were you when he laid the earth's foundations? Where were you when he said, okay, see, we're going to stop here. This is the beach right here. I'm, I'm making this right here. Where were you? God is here from beginning. God is here to the end, which never ends. He is the one 
who is absolutely and completely in charge and in control, and he sees all things, and Job shows us this. And so what happens in our lives is this, is that we strive and we strive and we strive, and we're chasing the wind, and we're, try, we're trying to catch the wind, we're trying to catch the wind. And what it creates in our lives is it creates absolute frustration. It's going to create frustration. And I hope that this isn't entirely true for you, but most of us never get stopped of running that race until we come to the end of ourselves. We run that race and we run that race and we run that race and we keep striving after the wind. We keep going for something else. We keep going for something else until we finally see that there's nothing else to go for or I just can't seem to get there or I just can't seem to fill this hole in my life that's continually leaking. I'm, I'm just, it's, it, 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 it leaks out everything, and it's because of this. You've been made for eternity. And so what, what should our response to life be as a result? Back to Ecclesiastes. He said, verse 12, Ecclesiastes 3.12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So what, what, what's he saying here? He says, I'm, I'm looking at life and I'm seeing the way that God has put this together that he has a plan in mind, that all things will be beautiful. I can't fully see what that is, so what's my purpose here in life? I perceive that there's nothing better than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Do you have joy in the midst of your life? And this isn't just a sermon about being a joyful person, but I can just tell you this, that when I think about my own life, I'm constantly thinking about the next thing that's not working right. I'm always driven to find something else and to find something else and to try to fix something else. I mean, it's part of the way that God has created me, but part of it is my own sinful nature and wanting to control everything around my life. I'm always wanting to control something else and, and to, to make something better. If everything gets, gets done in my job, then I go home and I direct that wrath at my, you know, grass. And I, and I try to fix that and I try to make everything just right. And now I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be working towards these ends. But am I doing that with joy? Am I joyful in the midst of this? Am I j enjoying what I'm doing as God's gift Am I eating and drinking and, and enjoying that? Am I stopping and saying, man, I'm so thankful for where God has me. See, Solomon says this because of this. The only way that you can truly stop and enjoy life in all of its fullness is because of this. Because he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its, in its time. And God is the one who has determined all things. He's the one that can see from beginning to end of my life and the way that things will work out. He knows that even the most horrific circumstances will be made right in his economy, 
He will make all things right. All things will culminate in beauty and ultimately bringing glory to him. And so therefore, in my life, I don't have to try to be God and to try to control the things in my life. See, the sin in the garden was this. Did God really say that you can't eat of this? Did God really say? It's questioning God. It's questioning what God said to Adam and Eve when he said, but of that tree you shouldn't eat. And Eve comes back and says, no, he said this. But Satan comes back to her and says, no, you will not die. Because God knows this, that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's promise to us always is this, that you're going to be like God. You're going to be in control. You're going to be in control of your circumstances. You're going to be able to manage the events of your life. You're going to be able to make all things good. And that's the lie. And so we strive and we strive and we strive. But what ultimately happens is this, is that when I try to bring my own happiness to me, when I try to fulfill myself and I take on the role of God, when I become in control, what takes place is this. Things break down. Things break down. The breakdown of the family has to do with control and ultimately wanting to be God. Because of infidelity, the, the wife that you've given me, God is not the one that's fulfilling me, and so I'm going to go find something else. Or the husband that you've given me is not the one that's fulfilling me, and so I'm going to go for something else. Or the, uh, the job that you've given me is not enough, and so I've got to steal. Or the, the friends that I have around me aren't enough. And you could just go on and on and on. Every bit of that is out of a desire to control the events, this, these cyclical things. But here's the thing. In God's world, the way that he created it is that there is a time for this and there is a time for that. And there is a time for this and there is a time for that. And the only way that we make it through is through understanding and knowing this, that he's ultimately and finally in control. And that he has given me all good things to enjoy according to what he has called me to do. He has given me all things to enjoy. They're for my enjoyment within the parameters that he has laid out. I am to enjoy food. I'm to enjoy my work. I'm to enjoy my drink. I'm to, I'm to enjoy all things because he is ultimately going to make all things beautiful. Do you see that? Are you able to say it is well even in difficult circumstances because you know that God is ultimately sovereign over all things. He says in verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Do you see what that's saying? What God does endures forever. I saw this quote just last night on, on Facebook. Bless their heart, whoever posted it. It's from a guy named Albert Pine. He says, 
What we do for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others and the world remains and is immortal. You, you know what's rooted in that? Okay, the good things that I do, those are immortal. Those are eternal. Those are the things that I'm going to go after, and I'm going to make those things. But what does this say? I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. I can try to make a lasting impact, and I should, but not because, it's, because I'm going to make it immortal, but because God is immortal. And he is the one who determines what is and what isn't. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. And what are we talking about fear for? It's because of this. You don't understand how in control God is of your life if you're not following him. You don't understand how absolutely powerful he is. Because there is no fear in your life of him. And I don't mean like a, a bad fear. I mean like an awful fear. Like Holy cow, he is God. He's the only God. He is the one. And he's in charge of all things. And I am subject to him. You can't live your life as an individual trying to control the events of your life and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control all these things. If you see God in all that he is, that everything he does endures forever. Like you want to be on God's side because ultimately he's in control of all things. He's in control. All things that he does endure forever. Nothing can be added to them or taken away from them. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which has been is already before him. That which is to be already has been. God sees all things. That's what that's saying. And God seeks what has been driven away. You know what that could mean? God seeks what is driven away. Is this. Are you driven away? What's your life like? I mean, is, is there a, like, when you put your head on your pillow at night, is there like this, this nagging feeling in your head that just says, I don't know that things are right with me, between me and God? When you think about this, this sermon where we're talking about this, you, I mean, are you in a place where you feel like, man, I feel like I've been driven away. I feel like this happened to me and that, and that took place. And, th and these things are falling apart in my life. Or everything may be going great in your life, but there's still just this emptiness inside of you that just says, like, I just don't feel like I'm fulfilled right now. God seeks what's been driven away. God seeks what's been driven away. I mean, do you feel driven away? He is seeking you. He is seeking after you. He's not just this huge, fearful God. He is that. But he is coming after you. And he's pursuing you and he's des desiring relationship with you. And he sees the events of your life and he sees what's going on. And he wants you to know something. Son or daughter, you can't control those things. But I am seeking you 
and I'm coming after you. And listen, you've got to drop the act. You've got to drop this desire to control and to submit in fear to me and say yes. To say yes to God. Okay, God, I want to enjoy life. I don't just want to go through life as being somebody who is trying to control everything. I want to be somebody who's truly looking to you. How is he seeking you? I can tell you this. Jesus, the Son of God, leaves heaven and glory. He leaves all of that. He leaves all of the comforts of life. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, He comes to the earth and He enters into this cycle of death and life and pain and building up and tearing down and good things and bad things and He experiences life with you and I. And he walks with regular people. And he lives perfectly without trying to control his father, the God of the universe. And instead, he does everything as the God of the universe for the glory of God. And what happens to him is that he ultimately ends up being crucified on a cross. But he didn't do it accidentally. He did it purposefully. He went to the cross because of this. Because he had determined that in his righteousness, in his justice, that all of our desires to control, all of our desires to manage the events of our lives, and to try to make things better, and really we just make them worse, all of those things could be paid for with one act on the cross. And so he goes to the cross, and even though you and I deserve death for our desire to control, God is the one who goes to the cross through his son, and he dies the death for us. And so what this means is this, is that through his death and through his resurrection, by trusting in him, we no longer are held to this life alone. We're no longer held to this life of trying to control and trying to make things better and trying to, and trying to do this and trying to do that. But here's the thing. We get to enjoy life. We get to do good, not because it's going to be immortal, but because it's to glorify our God. It's to participate with him and to say, what would you have me do today? How would you have me live my life today? And so, instead of being people who are constantly in despair or constantly looking for the next thing, if only, if only, if only, we get to be people who are saying, I enjoy life. I'm enjoying what God has done. I'm enjoying what he's given me. And I don't have to control everything. Yes, I work hard. But I don't do it out of a desire to control. I work hard because God has given me gifts to use and to operate. Can you sing it as well? I can tell you this. You can't if you don't fear him. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Receive him as Savior by simply, in your heart of hearts, saying this. Yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I desire to know you, to love you, and to serve you. 
and I want to find out more about what it means to follow you. Are you somebody that wants that today? There are Christians in this room today that are still in this rat race, still can't say it as well. You also need to look to Jesus again. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross for us and you paid the ultimate price so that we did not have to sit in a meaningless life. But ultimately, because you're over all things, you bring meaning to our lives. You bring beauty to our lives. You will make all things beautiful. And so our suffering and our pain and, and our joy and our successes all end up in a beautiful mess that you have put together and you are painting this picture that we cannot see up close, but Lord, you can see it. You can see what you're doing. And so Lord, we trust you today that you know what's going on and you know what this means. So Lord, we, we wanna follow you. We wanna love you, we wanna serve you because you are God of the universe. Everything you, you do endures forever. Everything you're in charge of works well. So Lord, we ask you for this in your name we pray. Amen.